Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. Well, good morning, Lakeland Church. Let me just say, I pray for you often because you have to deal with that week in and week out. Man, that's just got to be really, really tough. Hey, uh, what a great team you have here just with, with, with Josh and Lisa and Richard and Stu and just the crew here. Just a fantastic church. What God's doing is just incredible. But uh, I, I feel kind of bad because I, uh, I, I did an intro for Josh at the Ridge because he's speaking there this weekend. And I like, you know, said what a great guy he was, husband, dad, and all that stuff. And then I get that. Now, let me just kind of share something with you. I get this gift, because I left some gifts for him. You know, he likes Diet Coke, and I'm leaving all these things he likes. I get this gift in his office, and here's what I get. And he goes, uh, he goes, hey, Mark, we made you a sweaty towel on behalf of Lakeland Church, and so this is what I get for coming to speak here. So uh, let me just say this. Hopefully, I won't have to use this later on in the message. Now, for the last three or four weeks, my wife, Donna, and I, we've been dealing what I have called squirrel gate at our house. There's been these three, now there's four, squirrels that are just hyperactive. And so they'll do all these crazy things, never see anything like it. So for example, when I get up in the morning, one of the first things I do is I will go and uh, we have this back patio window and, and uh, I'll, I'll open up the curtains and do all that. Well, there's been many times where I'm opening up the curtains and all of a sudden just the squirrels hanging from the screen there. And so first thing you get up, you're like, whoa, whoa, there's just this big hairy squirrel laying there, sitting there, you know. Uh, we'll open up our garage. This happened even yesterday. Open up our garage. All of a sudden, two squirrels will just run into the garage and they'll go up into the rafters and all this stuff. And so we're trying to leave and you know, get them out and they're real obnoxious. Uh, about a week ago, I was going for a run and I get out on our, on our front porch and I'm just getting ready to go and these four squirrels are running around in the front, you know, and I'm praying fire would fall down on them, you know, as I'm, before I'm getting ready to go. And uh, two of the squirrels, all of a sudden, they start making a beeline and they start just running towards me, you know, and they're about, you know, 30 feet. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, squirrels doing squirrel stuff. Well, they get to about 20 feet, 15 feet, and they, these two squirrels are still running for me. And so I kind of just panic inside, and I just do the first thing that I can think of. I just run towards them, and I go, and uh, the squirrels all of a sudden just kind of stop, and they just kind of looked at me, and then they just kind of ran away and all that stuff. I'm going, man, and then the neighbors saw that, you know. And I'm just going, have these squirrels seen the movie Cocaine Bear? Because, I mean, they are just nuts, you know. Well, my neighbor and I, because they're doing the same thing to him, my neighbor and I have just made it our mission to get rid of these son of a guns. And so the first thing that we did is we went to the store and we bought this, I don't even know what it was called, it was this stuff that you put in the lawn and it's supposed to deter them. Well, it did nothing of the kind. And then the second thing that happened, I, I, I thought this was from God, I, I found these two squirrel traps. I should say I was given to them. I, I've never hunted or shot guns or anything like that, you know, and so I've never used a squirrel trap before. And I have these two traps and I'm going, well, I wonder what you put in these things to catch squirrels. So instead of Googling them, I'm going, well, if I was a squirrel, what would I like? Well, I would love peanut butter. Everybody loves peanut butter, you know? So I'm putting peanut butter in these things, and then I put them in some strategic spots around, around the house. Get up every morning praying that God, you know, would just allow us to catch one of these things and get rid of one of these things. And so, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing. I get up one morning. I check the trap. The peanut butter is gone, but the trap never went off. And I'm testing these things. I'm going, man, these things have superpowers too, these squirrels do. I mean, these things are unbelievable. Well, then I'm like, okay, I got to outsmart these squirrels. And so what I decided to do is I put peanut butter in it, but then I get some cat food, and I have a master's degree, okay, so I'm going to outsmart these things. And uh, I put some cat food in it, and then I put this trail, like, leading into the trap, you know what I'm thinking, this will do it. Ate the cat food, 
peanut butter, nothing. I'm telling you, I'm getting so desperate to catch these things. I'm thinking of going to the store, buying a BB gun, which I know you're not supposed to do, okay? Buying a BB gun, which I've never shot before, and I'm just going to take, take these guys out this way. Otherwise, catching these demon-possessed squirrels is going to be a lost cause for me. Now, as Josh said, we are in a series called Lost Cause, and our churches are doing it together, which is just really, really cool. And uh, we all know what lost cause means when we use that phrase. It's like, okay, I'm trying to do something. I've done everything I can. It's not working. I'm done. I give up. This is a lost cause. But as we're going through the series, what we're doing is we're looking at this phrase lost cause from God's perspective. And we're seeing that the way God uses this phrase is the complete opposite as we do. And here's the definition that we're using for, for lost cause in God's perspective. It's God's never-ending. In other words, we give up. God never gives up. God's never-ending pursuit of anyone who is lost. And that word lost there, that's the word that Jesus would use to refer to anyone who is disconnected from his father or anyone who just didn't know where they were or are, spiritually speaking. Now, sometimes we, we can see that word and we can go, well, that just sounds kind of devaluing to people. But I want you to think about this. Do you know what ultimately motivated Jesus to give his life on the cross? He was ultimately motivated by the lostness of every single person because he wanted every single person to be found. That's how much people matter to him. Now, last week, we raised the question, how does God carry out his lost cause mission today? And the answer is, is it's actually only one answer. I kind of look at this. It's plan A and there's no plan B. And, and the answer is this, and it's always been this, through you and through me. Now, let me show you why, why, why this is so, okay? And I'm going to do this by just giving you a little informal survey, and so a little, little crowd participation here. Show of hands, uh, all of you who are Jesus followers, okay, if you're a Jesus follower, show of hands if you became a Jesus follower through an advertisement. You saw an advertisement, you're like, I'm in, I'm in. That was you? Okay. Uh, show of hands if you became a Jesus follower through something you saw on TV. I mean, that was it. You know, you never knew anything before, saw something on TV. Okay. Show, uh, show of hands if you became a Jesus follower through a social media post. You're like, whoa, man, that was really cool. Never thought about that before. I mean, okay. All right. Show of hands if you became a Jesus follower through a relationship or relationships with someone who was, and just the way they invested in you and maybe prayed for you, influenced you, that that just, that was it for you, that that's who God used in your life. How many? Yeah, just kind of look around the room. That's right. You see, studies show, and, and, and that's why our experience just showed as well, that, that most people become Jesus followers because someone was courageous enough to say, hey, listen, I'm going to partner with God in his pursuit of you, and listen, aren't you glad they did? Now, last week, our churches together were, were challenged to do two things. And these two things are going to drive our series. And so if you haven't started doing these things yet, I want to encourage you to do it. The first one is this. We are all challenged to identify your one. And your one is just anyone in our life who is just in the wrong place spiritually, using the phrase lost that Jesus was used, that they, they just don't know Jesus. And then the second thing that we are challenged to do, and we all did this together, which I think is really cool, that our churches, we're praying for them at one o'clock, we're praying for our one at one o'clock, and I just hope we continue to do that, okay, as, as we go through the series. Now today what I want to do is I want to work through and talk through what I believe is the biggest barrier that keeps most of us from being a part of God's lost cause mission. And here's how I, I think this, this kind of comes out, okay? It's com it comes out in this phrase right here. Well, God could never use me. Now, we wouldn't say that, all right? But that's what, what, that's what we kind of lodged into our mind. 
And that takes many forms. It could, it could be like this. Well, God can't use me because I'm not a professional Christian, okay? I'm not like, you know, Pastor Josh who gets up here. Man, he is just so good and he's so smart and all that stuff. It may come out that way. It may come out this way. Well, you know, I just don't know enough. I'm not spiritually mature enough. Don't know enough about the Bible. If I get asked questions, I'm not sure what to do there. Uh, it might come out in this one. Okay, well, my life is not perfect and I don't want to be a hypocrite, and you know, I don't want to say something to maybe you know, hurt, hurt them and hurt their spiritual journey and, and, and all that stuff. And so it comes out in many of those forms. And so what I want to do is I want to just kind of talk through those very, that very real barrier. And my, my prayer today as I came here was to hopefully set some of you free. Now, last week, if you were, if you were here you know that we looked at Jesus' last words to his disciples. And his last words actually were in his, in his head. He was commissioning his disciples to God's lost cause. Now, today what I'm going to do is I'm going to go all the way to the beginning, and I'm going to look at his first words to his disciples. And as I look at the first words, notice how similar they are. We're going to look at it found in, in, in the Gospel of Mark. Here's, here's Jesus, and it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and who later we know as Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And then listen to this invitation. It says this. Jesus says, come follow me, Jesus said. He says, and. In other words, here is going to be the ultimate outcome of you following me. And he says, and I will send you out to be, out to fish for people. Now this literally means I'm going to send you out to catch people. Which they had to have been going like, okay, what? What, is that, what does that even mean? And I want you to notice something in here. He says, and I will send you. In other words, the idea of sent is, Jesus' call to them was to a mission, or as we are saying in this series, a cause. And I want you to notice that it is a future tense sort of idea. In other words, through spending time with me, here is going to be the outcome of that time with me. I'm going to send you out, and as a result, you are going to catch people. Now, I can't prove this, but I can't help but think, as Jesus was inviting them to this mission, I can't help but think that Jesus was thinking back to a conversation he had long ago in heaven. And in this conversation, there was God the Father, uh, obviously him, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Adam and Eve had just sinned, and it created separation between God and humanity. And God the Father said this, who will go and rescue the people that I love so much. And Jesus, he raised his hand and he said, I'll go, send me. And he was sent all the way to the cross. And the disciples didn't know it yet, but Jesus was inviting them to the same mission that he was invited to long ago. And then listen to what happens next in our story. It said, at once they left their nets, and they left their nets and their dad, because their dad was in the boat, at once they left their nets and followed them. And so they bailed on their dad because their dad owned the business. And the thought was, is that the disciples that were with them, they were going to, the sons were going to take over the business. But they see Jesus and they go, I don't know what it is, but I'm following that guy. And then it continues. It says, when he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with, with the hired men. It's like, it sucks to be dad in this story, you know? They're always getting left behind, but the hired men, and then they followed him. 
And these disciples, they had no idea what they were getting themselves into. But as we read the rest of the book of Mark, we see this, that eventually they learned to be fishers of people. And they took what they had experienced and then the message that they heard directly from Jesus. And then God used them to relay that in their spheres of influence and they shared it in their, in their group and they shared it with another group and shared it with another group who kept sharing it and the, and the sharing continued to happen. Now, do you know what's really interesting about this? These disciples, they were terrible at this. In fact, when you read the rest of the book of Mark and you read through the Gospels, you read all these stories and it's like you're reading these things and you go, the, man, these guys are just horrible. And you had to, can't help but wonder that if Jesus was kind of scratching his head at times and going like, man, are you guys ever going to get this whole thing? But through a lot of mistakes, these four and eventually others who would join them, they do get it. And they actually understand and learn what does it mean to fish for people. And they become fully sold out to God's lost cause mission. And I want you to think about this. You and me, everyone who follows Jesus, we are here because they did. And if God can use mostly uneducated fishermen, do you know what that means? He can use you and he can use me. Now, here's something I bet you you, you probably never thought about before. If you're a Jesus follower, I want you to think about the people that he used in your life. Now, most likely, when, you, when they told you the message, the message you had never, I mean, you had heard the message before. A very few of us in our 20s and 30s, you know, we heard, hey, Jesus died for your sins. And we were like, what? I never heard that before. Really? Hey, th thanks for telling me that. No, I bet you you had heard the message. You see, the message, the message wasn't new. But here's the key. But it was something about the messenger. You know, there was something about that person. It was something about their story, their authenticity. It was something about how they live their life. And there was something about that person combined with the message, combined with your unique circumstances, and that God used all of those things. And eventually, you ended up opening up your heart and you became a follower of Jesus. You see, here are the components right here, and these are the key. There's the messenger, there's the message, and the unique circumstances, and here's your story, and you got to a place where you go, oh, yeah, I got it. I'm ready, and I'm in. Now, this was, this was my story. I, I grew up going to church uh, as a kid, and I couldn't stand going to church, and I'd heard the message before, and eventually I got to this place. as about early high school where I, where I rejected the message, and so I, I just kind of walked away. Now, I got about to my senior year, and for about a four or five year period, uh, there was just, I'd started to really wrestle inside and going like, there's gotta be something more to this. Something seems to be missing. And God sent some people into my life. And here's the thing. Not one of them came to me and said, hey, I just wanna let you know, Mark, that Jesus died for your sins. Okay, I heard that before, all right? I've been there, done that. But there was something about how they lived their life that I'd never experienced before. And there was something about how they invested in me that I had never experienced before. You see, God spoke the same message through them combined with my circumstances and I eventually got to the place and I was so far from God where I said, you know what, I'm in. And I bet you that is your story to some degree as well. So let me put back up the, the components again. We got the message that's a part of this. You know, that, that's, it's called the good news, okay? That's God's part, perfect. Don't need to touch that. We know that. Hey, the unique circumstances in an individual, I said, we can't control that part, okay? I mean, that's, that's something that's going on that we can't control. But here's the part that we can control in this, and this is what we're going to focus on, the messenger. And so the question I want to deal with for the rest of my time is this. How can we be people that God uses, just like the disciples eventually came and just like the people that he used 
in our life? How can we be those people? Uh, after I became a Jesus follower, as I said, I was so far from God, and I just wanted everybody to experience what I had experienced with God, but I, I didn't know what to do or, or how to go about that, and the only thing that I saw or the only examples that I had were just people who were just obnoxious and annoying, and they would you know, get in people's face and all that stuff, so I'm thinking, okay, you know, that's what you have to do. And I'm kind of an outgoing personality, and so uh, I, I would just, every conversation I could get into, I mean, for the longest time, I would bridge that into a conversation with faith. And so there was this one time, I was, I was living in Florida at the time, it was really, really hot, it was in the summer, and I'm talking with a friend of mine, far from God, okay, and, he's, and we're talking, he goes, man, he goes, it is hot as hell out here. And I go, yeah, speaking of hell, do you know that you're going to go there without Jesus? Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And he just kind of looked at me like, dude, get away from me, you know, I want nothing to do with you. And here's my wife. She is the exact opposite personality of, as me, and she, but she's a very similar story that I do. And she wanted to help people close to her uh, just discover life in Jesus, but she thought, I, I gotta be like you, Mark. I can't do that. And so as a result, she just, she just kind of stepped back. Years later, we were both introduced to something that I'm gonna introduce to you today. And uh, this forever changed us because it freed us. That instead of being someone that we think that we had to be, that instead, we discovered that we could be used by God just as we are. And you know what? You can be used by God just as you are. In fact, our big idea is this, is that God knew what he was doing when he made you. And you know what? That God wants and will use you to impact people in his lost cause mission just as you are. Now, in the New Testament, we see that there are six unique personality styles. Now, there's more than six, okay? But there's, very, there's six that we see over and over again that really God uses. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through these six. And here's what I want you to do for me, okay? I, what, what I want you to do is as I go through these six, I want you to identify the one or maybe there might be two that you relate to and that you go, hey, yeah, that, that's me. That's me. Because remember, God wants to use you just as you are. All right, six personality styles. Here, here's our first one. Our first one is what's called the confrontational style. And the person associated with this one is our guy, Peter, who we just looked at earlier. And so Peter, here's, here's Peter. On opening day of the church, Peter gives the first message. And he gets up in front of tens of thousands of people. And this is what Peter says to all these people. Check this out. He says, therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, <laughs> whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Can you imagine getting up in front of tens of thousands of people, giving a message, saying, hey, by the way, hey, the Messiah, you killed him. You killed him. And here's the thing. That's just who Peter was. You just kind of see Peter's personality going through throughout the Gospels, and you see that Peter would, would be talking with people, and he'd just have tough conversations, and he'd say tough things. This just comes natural to Peter. You know, this is my person, this is my style right here. But what I had to learn is that confrontational style isn't an excuse for being obnoxious and offensive. And unfortunately, before that, I was years of being obnoxious as an offensive. And I, I referred to earlier, I, there, I, there was this time where I was at work and I was working in the corporate world at the time. 
And uh, I, there was this guy, a coworker of mine, and I just so badly wanted this guy to, to, to find Jesus, you know? And I just peppered him all the time, peppered him all the time. I'm just in his face all the time. And uh, there was this one time, he just had a really bad day at work, and our, our desks were next to each other. And uh, he comes in, and, you know, he could always show his emotion on his face, and he was just angry about it, you know, bad day. And he sits down at his desk. Well, if you've ever played Monopoly before, uh, you, you know that there's these get-out-of-jail-free cards. Well, for some reason, I got my hands on this. A get-out-of-hell-free card, all right? And I was just waiting in, in the wings, just when's the right time, God, that you want me to use this card, okay? And so I'm praying when to use this card, and I'm thinking, this is it. This is the time. And so, you know, my coworker there, he is just frustrated and angry and all that stuff. I take out my card, and I just slip it on his desk, and I go, maybe this is why your day is going so bad. And he looks at the card, and he looks at me, and he just took all his hand, and he just swiped across his desk, flung everything on the floor, looked at me, and walked away. And here's what I thought. It's on you now, buddy. On you. But that's, you know, confrontational style. Doesn't give you an excuse to be obnoxious and offensive. In fact, here's what I had to learn. The confrontational style always, always needs to make sure it's done in love. And here's the other thing, if you have the confrontational style, the confrontational style works best in existing relationships. But if you have this style, God really will use this. Now, how many of you might think this might be your style? How many think about your style? Yeah, everyone's like, I'm not talking to you afterwards, okay? I'm not gonna talk to you. All right, all right, here's the second one. Second one is this, the intellectual style. And the person associated with this is our guy, the Apostle Paul. There's this one time where uh, Paul is in Athens and he's talking with some philosophers. And they had been talking all day just about, uh, about God and life and these philosophers believed in all sorts of gods. When Paul gets up and here's how he addresses them. Here's what he says. He says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And so from here, he gives just a very logical presentation, building a case, pointing them to Jesus. And here's the thing. That's just who Paul was. When you read his writings, if you notice, he is very analytical, very logical in his flow. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was talking to a friend of mine, and, uh, and, and he said to me, he goes, he goes, Mark, he goes, I am really struggling with my faith because I'm such a logical thinker. And here's what I said to him. I said, I said, hey, listen, that's not a bad thing. That is actually a very good thing. That that's how God made you both to connect with him and to help others connect with him. That there will be people that, are, that, that aren't there with Jesus yet that they will identify and connect with you because of your God-given personality style. So how many of you, you think the intellectual approach, are you kind of analytical and all this? How many of you think that's your style? How many? How many? Good. All right. Great. All right. Here's number three. The testimonial style. And the person associated with the testimonial style is the blind man in John chapter 9. It's a great story. If you've heard the story before, uh, there's this blind man who had been uh, born from birth. Jesus heals him. And right after that, he, some religious leaders are, are just unloading on him and trying to get answers to okay, you know, what happened and all that stuff. And instead of him giving a bunch of reasons and reasoning, he just says, I, I'm going to just share with you the, the experience I've had and what God has done in my life. 
And then at the end of this conversation, he, he just says this. He just goes, hey, one thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. In other words, let me just tell you the story of what Jesus has done in my life. Uh, the, the equivalent of Richard on, on the staff that I lead is uh, someone named Jody. And uh, Jody, she's not going to naturally confront, even though she could if she needed to. Uh, she's not going to give you an, a logical presentation. But what's great with Jody is someone will be talking to her that's far from God, and she'll go, oh, hey, 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 let me just share with you a story of what God has done in, in, in my life. And for some of you, you're like, I, I would love to be a part of God's Lost Cause mission, but I just feel like I, I just, I don't know enough. But you know what you do know? Your story. And that's enough. So how many of you, you know, kind of testimony, you just love to share what God's doing in your life with other people. How many of you think that that's your, your style right there? Oh, what a great style. What a great style. You know, people can argue with a lot of things, but they can never argue with your story. All right, here's, a, here's the next one. It's called the interpersonal style. And uh, the person associated with this one is Matthew. Now, if you're the interpersonal style, you love people and parties. Some of you are like, you don't even need to say anymore. This is definitely my style, okay? And other people know that, that, that this is your style. But there's this great passage where, where Matthew, who's a former tax collector, he now turns disciple, and he's just left his tax collecting business, but he wants his other tax collector's buddies to meet Jesus in some way. And so, he, so here's his, his plan. He throws a party. And Luke records what, what he did. It says, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus. And, and that's Luke's way of saying a party, a big party. Held a banquet, a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and then look at who he invites. And a large crowd of tax collectors. Tax collectors and others were eating with them. And so what Matthew does is he throws a party, but it's a party with a purpose. That it, he was intentional about throwing this party because he wanted his other tax collector buddies to rub shoulders with Jesus, and this is exactly what happens. Uh, there's, there's a guy, in our, uh, a really close friend of mine. His name is Forrest, and uh, when I think about this style, I mean, this is him. I mean, if I just had him up here, I mean, you would just know right away that this is him. In fact, uh, he, they have this tradition, him and his wife, Tracy, every Memorial Day weekend, they throw this big Memorial Day party, and there'll be 150 to 200 people that come to this party, and it'll be church and unchurched people. And, man, you just see the smile on his face as people are trashing his house and, you know, having a lot of fun and all that stuff. I mean, but he is just in his glory. Uh, Forrest will, will sometimes call, call me, and he'll go, hey, uh, you and Donna want to come over tonight? We're just having a few people over. And I always look at Donna, and I go, <laughs> there's going to be about 60 people over there tonight. You know, that's exactly what's going to happen because that's Forrest. And for some of you, I mean, this is you. I mean, you just love people and parties. You're great gatherers of people. What if there was more to that than just you loving people and parties? What if God made you that way because he wants to use you to be a part of his larger purpose? So people and parties, people, you raise your hand. Interpersonal, you're like, yeah, this is me. This is me. You're like, hey, can we get out of here? It's Memorial Day weekend. I got stuff to do. That's right. That's great. Okay, Personality style number five, the invitational style. And the person associated with this, women at the well. And so most of us have heard this story before. Jesus is, uh, is having a conversation with this woman at the well, and she is a checkered past to say the least. And through their conversation, she comes to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so she leaves everything and she runs back to her town, and here's what she says. She says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, and here's the invite, come see Come on, come and see. 
a, a man who told me everything I ever did, which is, which is interesting because her, her reputation was known. It's like, everybody knows everything you ever did, you know, and that wasn't good. But he says, then could this be, she says, could this be the Messiah? And then look at the results. They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. And so think about this. A bunch of people meet Jesus just through her simple invite. I love being around people with, with, with this style. Because I don't have this style. It's like, I'll invite people to church, and I'll invite people over. They're like, yeah, no, we're busy, can't do it. All of a sudden, they always come up with an excuse. But if you have this style, I mean, people just say yes to you at a high percentage. It's like, you invite people to church, they come. You invite people over, they come. I mean, this is just you. This is your God-given style. So how many of you, you'd say that this is your style? I mean, you're an inviter, man. I mean, you are just inviting, inviting, inviting. Great. Final one. It's called this, the serving style. The serving style. And the person associated this with is a widow named Dorcas. Here's, here's what we hear about Dorcas in Acts 9. Here's what we hear about her. It says, she was always doing good, and she was helping the poor. And one of the ways we learn that she, di- that she did this is that she would always be making these robes and clothes for other widows in the town. And she made such an impact that when she died, the whole town comes out. And, and grieves her loss. And if this is you, your style, you, you just are constantly thinking through, uh, how can I serve other people? How can I give them gifts and do things for them? They're going through a tough time. I mean, you, you are right there. I mean, you are always thinking about, how can you serve people in a way that brings attention to Jesus and, and the great things he has done in your life? So how many for you just kind of naturally, this, this would be your style. I mean, you just love to serve. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So let me put the six styles up. So I want you to look at these again. Confrontational, intellectual, testimonial, interpersonal, invitational, and serving. So one of our big goals in Josh and I wanting to put together this series was to equip our churches so you could be confident in knowing that God can and will use you on his lost cause mission. And so here's my one action step for you uh, with today's message. We've put together a a short assessment that was very similar to the one that Don and I took took years ago that has forever changed us. And uh, here's the QR code for it. And uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to scan this QR code, and it's a very short assessment. It'll take you about two or three minutes. But I'm telling you, for for some of you, that two or three minutes, uh, that will free you up in a way that you will go, oh, hey, wait, I don't have to be someone else. That God can really use me just as I am. Uh, shortly after Don and I had uh, just understood our unique style and how God had wired us, uh, we got to know this, this couple who had moved to the United States from China. Uh, he was coming over to get a double master's degree, and she, she was a scientist, and so they're brilliant. But they were both hardcore atheists. And so we got to know them, and we got to be pretty good friends with them, and we, we developed this Sunday afternoon rhythm where they would come over at our house because they wanted to learn American culture. And so we decided, Don and I were like, okay, hey, listen, let's put together, let's double down here and just work through our unique styles. And so Donna's is serving. And so what she did, they would come over and she'd just provide a great environment and she'd always have gifts for him and uh, she'd cook stuff for him and all that stuff. And mine's confrontational and a little bit of intellectual. And so we'd get conversations going and I would ask him questions and just challenge them with some things and all that stuff. We got to be very close with this couple. And for two years, almost every Sunday afternoon, 
we, sat, we, we, we'd get together. Eventually, they had their first kid. We did life with them there. And uh, just like I said, just we're very, very tight with them. Well, after those two years, uh, I, Don and I, we had to move. And uh, as we moved and we left them, uh, I'll be honest with you, I, I was very disappointed because they didn't make a decision to follow Jesus in those two years. And I just wondered, God, did, did you really make a difference in their life during that time? Uh, years later, on a Sunday morning, I always remember this, Sunday morning, I, I, I was driving to church, uh, Don and I were driving to church, and I uh, get a phone call from the husband. And uh, he says, hey, listen, I wanted you to be the first to know that last night I made a decision to, to follow Jesus. And I wanted you and Donna to be the first to know because this wouldn't have happened without you. And I said, oh, I said, man, that's so great. I said, what about your wife? He goes, oh, Mark, she is so close. And uh, just to let you know, they had two kids at this time. She goes, now we're going to church every Sunday. They weren't going to church before. And uh, he goes, I, I, I don't think she's that far off. So I got off the phone. And Don and I are talking about this. And I'm just overcome with emotion. And uh, I, I'm just thinking, man, there is no amount of money, and there is no drug that can make me feel like I felt after that conversation. And if you fast forward another six months, his wife ended up becoming a follower of Jesus. And here's what else is cool. So the church I lead, The Ridge, we, we started the church about 15 years ago. Right before we launched, we get a, a, a letter in the mail from them with a donation. And on the donation, it says this, go and get people like us. Now, I wish I could say that every one of my stories has that sort of ending. But honestly, I have more stories where the ending has yet to be written yet. But I'm telling you, the more I make myself available to God just as I am, he uses me. And for some of you, as we've talked about this whole idea of being a part of God's lost cause, there's a part of you that still thinks, yeah, God can't use me, God can't use me, God can't use me. But if you would be willing to just make yourself available to God just as you are, and I'm going to tell you this, as you do that, it's going to be inconvenient. It may take years and years and years of, of spending time and investing in people. It's going to get uncomfortable, but I'm telling you, if you do that, I really believe that God will use you in his lost cause mission. And here's what you're going to discover. There's no greater adventure. There is nothing more exciting. And there is nothing that will build your faith more than when you partner with God on his never-ending pursuit of the people around you because there's no greater impact that you will ever make than that. Let me pray for us. Father, um, I just thank you for each person in this room and all those who are watching and just the uniqueness of them. And what's really cool to think about God is that you knew exactly what you were doing when you made each one of us. And there are people around us that are just there, that are searching, that are looking. Maybe they don't even know. But they will connect with us because of how you wired us. And so, Father, I pray that we would be available to that. That we would step into and just have the freedom of just, I can be me, God. You can use me just as I am. And, Father, as we look at this whole idea of, of just that fear of God could never use me, God, I pray that you would just break that down. And there is not a single person that you will not use if they're only available to it. God, I think of the ripple effect of this series and, and praying that it'll have because of our churches doing this. And as we look at our world, 
and we just kind of see things spinning out of control and unraveling around us. Oh God, this is what happens uh, to, to a world and to people when they're disconnected from you. God, we don't point that in judgment. We raise our hand and go, use us, God. Use us, God. And may you bring renewal to the people around us through us. Because God, your plan A has always been to do your lost cause mission through each and every person. I pray your hand a blessing over this church and over every person here and their leaders. God, thank you for the great work, great work that you're doing here. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.